specific message to a specific group of people in the church. Uh, because we always want to have something. I want to have something for everyone, not just for one group of people. That's why I typically don't do Mother's Day or Father's Day specific messages because I know not everyone here is a mother, not everyone here is a father. And there's a lot of folks who have a desire to be a mother or a father and just for whatever reason, the Lord hasn't blessed them in that area. There's a lot of people who uh, Mother's and Father's Day is very hard for them because maybe they lost a mother or father recently and it just brings back some pain or maybe they didn't have a good relationship with one of their parents. And so it brings some, some bitterness there. And so I always struggle saying, well, I don't really want to single one group of people out. And so when I was thinking about the baby dedication service, I was, think again, thinking, well, I can't just do a baby dedication service just for the parents because I don't want to single everyone out. You know, we got three babies being dedicated, so do I just let the rest of you go home and just preach to these three families and say, y'all have a good day. I'm going to be with them for a while. Uh, no, because we all need to hear something from the Word of God. But this morning, this morning we get to enjoy a wonderful moment in the lives of these three families, but it's not just their responsibility as we come together for this baby dedication service. They are not the only ones who are to help raise these children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, to point them to Christ, to train them how to be a good Christian as their friends, as their family, as their church family. Every one of us has a part in the discipleship of these three children. Every one of us has a part in making sure that they know God, that they come to know Christ as their Savior. Now, of course, their parents, they have the biggest role because they're with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's their responsibility to train them at home, but it's our responsibility to be a good example. It's our responsibility to help them show these children how to love Jesus, how to, how to treat other people how to deal with difficult situations, how to deal with, with trials and tribulations, how to love other people in the family of God. So each of us have a part in pointing these children to Christ. So it's my goal this morning to show what this service, what this baby dedication has, not just for the parents, but for every one of us this morning. What is our responsibilities, our expectations during a baby dedication service. Now, there's not a lot of examples of baby dedication in the Bible. There are a couple, but typically uh, they're pretty bad where the, the, the false prophets would set up the, 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 the Malach, the temple, the, the Malach idol, and the people would lay their babies on the hot hands of this idol and burn their babies alive. We're not doing that. So most of the examples about baby dedication are not great ones. But there is one that really shows us what the purpose of a baby dedication is, and that's in the book of 1 Samuel. Now, in 1 Samuel, I know you're in Deuteronomy, I'm going to read it for you. In the book of 1 Samuel, we meet a woman named Hannah. Now, Hannah is married to a man named Ramath Zophim. I'm going to call him Ram from now on. Her and Ram, for years, have tried to have children, but they haven't been able to. Now, during this time, uh, Ram, he has another wife, and she's able to have children. And so it's kind of a, a real bitter hardship for Hannah who wants to have a child. And if you've ever been in that situation or known someone in that situation where you, you desire a child but you can't have one, it's a, it's a hard place to be. 
It's a difficult place to be. And so here she is. She wants a child with her husband. She wants to provide him with children, but, but the Lord's just not blessed her. And so now this time, there's no fertility clinic she can go to. There's no in vitro fertilization. There's no adoption. There's nothing she can do. All she can do is trust God. But to make matters even worse, she's got this other woman who her husband's married to, and she's able to have children. And, and she's, she's kind of mean to Hannah about it and kind of spiteful and kind of prideful that, hey, God's given me kids, but he ain't given you. That means God loves me more. And so it's a very difficult time in Hannah's life. Well, her and the whole family, they go up to the tabernacle to offer their yearly sacrifice. And they go, they offer the sacrifice. And afterwards, Hannah stays at the tabernacle and she is praying to God. She is begging God to let her have a baby. She is begging God to open her womb and allow her. And she tells God, God, if you will bless me with a son, I will give him back to you all the days of his life. And while she's praying, she is so, she is so passionate in her prayer. She is praying in her heart and her mouth is moving, but no words are coming out. And the high priest, Eli, he sees her and he, he thinks she's drunk. And he rebukes her for being drunk in the house of the Lord. And let me just, that's a good thing to rebuke somebody about. You know, don't come to church drunk, all right? Uh, so he, she, he's rebuking her for being drunk. And it's kind of funny. He's like, why are you drunk so early? Like, it's okay later, but not right now. You know, you're a little too early there. It's not 5 o'clock yet. So, but she's, she, she's rebuking her for being drunk. And she says, I'm not drunk. I just I have such a heart for God to give me this. And she's, she goes, I'm begging God to give me a child. And Eli, he's kind of heartbroken for her. And he goes, the Lord bless you and give you what you ask for. Well, she goes home and a couple months later, she's pregnant. God answers her prayers. So she has this child, and she, the baby's born, and you know, there's no gender reveal party because they don't know the gender until the baby's born. So the baby's born, and it's a boy. They name him Samuel, of course. He becomes one of the greatest high priests in Israel's history. He, he anoints King David as king over all of Israel. So just a, a great man that, that he turns out to be. But she gives birth to this son, Samuel. So God has answered her prayer. God has blessed her and given her her son. She is as happy as she has ever been. But she never forgot that promise she made to God where she tells God, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you for the rest of his life. And so when he's weaned, he's probably, now this time, he's probably five or six or maybe even seven years old. He's a young boy when he's basically old enough to kind of take care of himself and be self-sufficient. And that is a great place for your kids to be. It is wonderful when your kids can take care of themselves, they can feed themselves, they can clean themselves. That's a good day in a, in, a, in a parent's life. When you no longer got a potty train, no more diapers, none of that. That's, that's, that's where me and April are. And every once in a while, she's like, you want another baby? No. <laughs> Not in the least little bit. I love these babies because you know what? When they stink, I give them back to mama. And it ain't my responsibility. I can sleep through the night. They don't have to. And so it's, it's a wonderful time for, for this place to be. But Hannah, she remembers what her promise to God. And she never gets over how she had dedicated him to God. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 1, sorry, verse 24, I'll put it on the screen for you and I'll read it for you. Uh, chapter 1, verse 24, the Bible says, And when she had weaned him, talking about Samuel, she took him up with her, three bullocks and one ephath of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him into the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, 
My Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying unto the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. So what happens is Hannah, she takes this baby, this child she has wanted for so many years. She had begged God for. She had pleaded with God for. She had prayed for God for. She goes, I prayed for this child, and God answered my prayer, and I am giving him back to the Lord. So she takes him to the high priest, and she gives her son to Eli. She goes home and Samuel stays with the priest at the church. We are not doing that. You are taking your kid home today. I love them, but I love them most. They go home with you. So I don't want your kid, but that's what, that's what Hannah is doing. She is dedicating. She goes, I am giving him to God for the rest of his life. And Samuel turned out to be the greatest priest in Israel's history, did incredible things for God. Now, a baby dedication is not something we do to put some kind of spiritual protection around your child. We're not saying here, well, if you, since we're going through a baby dedication, your child's going to grow up to be the greatest preacher in the world. They may, they may not. It's not, it's not giving them some spiritual uh, provision for God. It's not giving them some special protection. It doesn't ensure them salvation. They have to accept Christ as their Savior when they're old enough, just like everyone else. As a matter of fact, a baby dedication is not really about the baby. It's about the parents. It's about the parents who God has given that child to and their decision to raise that child in the nurture and admonition of God. It is a promise between you and God. It's a promise made before God in front of your friends and your family, your church family, to seek his help and his wisdom as you teach your child to love him. And we need to understand that, that God takes promises very seriously. When we make a promise to God, it's a promise God, because God keeps his word to us. Any promise God has given us, he keeps his word. He goes, if I make a promise, I'm going to keep my word to you. I want you to do the same thing and keep your word to me. So what we do here is significant, not just because you're making a promise to raise your child in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but because doing so takes faith. It's you understanding you can't do it on your own. There's a lot of books out there about parenting. We're going to give you one today for you to, you know, take home and put on your shelf. So people thought you were thinking, but probably don't. We're going to give you, there's a lot of books on parenting. There's a lot of philosophies on parenting. The thing is, you could raise a, a decent child who's a good citizen. But to raise a child who loves God, who loves others, who serves God, that takes God's help in your life. That's not, that you can't do it on your own. So it is you standing before God and saying, God, I promise to raise my child to love you, to love others, to serve you, and Lord, I need your help to do it. Only through God's blessing, only through God's power, only by leaning on his strength can you keep the promise to God you're making this morning. It isn't about you being the best parent you can be, it's about you being the, the parent that only you can be to your child through him. 
So today, the question isn't whether you want to raise your child to love God. The question isn't whether, whether you want to, lo- to raise your child to love others and to serve him. The question today is not do you want to raise your children to know and love Jesus because the fact that you're here and participating in this shows us you want your child to love God. You want your child to grow up, to be a Christian, and to love Jesus and to help others. The question is, will you live and raise him in a way that supports that desire? Will you live in such a way that helps you keep that promise today? For that, we need God's guidance. So this morning, I want to teach us from a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that helps us answer this question. See, what we're asking you to do this morning is to pass on your faith. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 shows us how we can pass on our faith. And there's a lot of passages about child rearing in the scriptures. But to me, this is probably one of the most important ones, one of the best ones. See, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is at the end of his life. And of course, we're learning in Sunday nights about Moses, about his leadership ability. And Moses is one of the greatest leaders of all time, especially in the Bible. But Moses is, is at the end of his life. He knows he's dying, and he is trying to pass on his faith and the faith of the generation to the generation that's going to go to the promised land. Because Moses isn't going to go. The generation that came out of Egypt isn't going to go into the promised land. It's a new generation that will see God fulfill his promise, that will fight the battles and go through the problems and the trials and the turmoils in the promised land. So Moses says, we've got to pass on our faith to them and help them to know God like we know God because we saw God feed us. We saw God give us water from a rock. We saw God part the Red Sea. They didn't, so we have to pass on our faith to them. And that's what parenting is. It's passing on your faith to the next generation. But this passage is not just for parents. It's for every single one of us. Because all of us will have influence over these children. We'll hold them in the nursery. We'll teach them in Sunday school. We'll disciple them in youth group. And even if you're like, well, I'm not part of any of those things, week in and week out, they'll see you and your faith towards God. They'll see you go through trials and tribulations. They'll see how you handle heartbreak. They'll see how you handle sickness. They'll see how you handle disappointment. And so every one of us this morning have a role in passing down our faith to these children. They will learn from us how to live the Christian life, how to love God, how to worship God, how to love his family, and how to serve in God's house as we build his kingdom. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses, he challenges the Israelites to live out God's laws and pass God's ways to the next generation. So how do we pass our faith on to these children? How do we, how do we pass on our love for God to the next generation? Three ways from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Number one, first of all, be an example. Look in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. <coughs> Hero Israel. The Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. If you're going to keep your promise before God, if you're going to keep your promise to raise your children to love him, to serve him, to love others, you're going to have to be an example of how to do that. Your children are going to have to see you love God. 
They're going to have to see you walk with God. They're going to have to see you love their spouse. People learn by watching us. We all know this, we, we all know this happens in action. You, know, you can ask Parker what's his favorite college football team. You know what he's going to tell you? UVA. You know why? Because he's raised right. That's why. Because his daddy loves Jesus, unlike those hokey fans out there. No, because he's seen me love UVA. He's seen me cheer for them. He, he has seen me weep over them as we're kicked out of the final, out of the NCAA tournament in round one by some unknown community college. He's seen me cry, but still love them. He's seen me go to games. He's seen me cheer for them. He has seen me love them, so he loves them. You're going to reproduce in your child's life you. Did you just act? Your, your kids, they're going to love to hunt. You know why? Because y'all love to hunt. That's what's good. Matt, she's going to grow up to drive a truck. <laughs> You're going to reproduce in your children's life the life that you live. Not just your hobbies and your desires and your, and your fun and games. You're going to reproduce your walk with God in their life. That means you have to have one. You have to be an example for these children on how to love God. You're going you're gonna to teach them what a marriage is supposed to look like. They're going to look at your marriage and say, two, one of two things, I want a marriage like mom and dad, or I don't want anything like mom and dad. And I think all of us want to be the first example. I want to be like mom and dad. Yeah, they had troubles. They had times that they didn't agree. They fought, unless they're like David and Kathy, and they lied about it. They had these times, but they loved each other. They got through it. They stuck it out. They helped each other. You have to be an example to your children. They will learn to love their spouse. They will learn to love others. They will learn to respect others, to care for others, to love God and to serve God by watching you. You reproduce what you are. That's why Moses said, Love God with everything you have. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your strength. We are to pursue God over everything else. You reproduce in your children your heart for God. There have been a major studies over the last several years in churches that churches are facing a critical situation. The younger generation is coming to church because mom and dad are bringing them to church. But then they, they grow up, they graduate high school, they get on their own, they leave church, and many times they never come back. And there's a lot of studies as to why this is happening. Why are kids leaving church and never coming back? And there's been studies, oh, it's the music program. We've got to change our music. We've got to change our preaching style. We gotta, I've even read articles, you've got to change your doctrine. No. You've got to change all these things to bring the other generation back. Look, I, I'm, going to show, I'm going to tell you what I believe one of the biggest reasons is, and I, some of you aren't going to like it. Some of you is going to upset you. It's going to hurt you. But one of the biggest reasons kids are leaving church and not coming back is because of the parents. God's not important to you. So when you find every excuse imaginable to skip church, 
to not go to not read your Bible, not to pray. Well, I'm tired. I'm sick. I'm all this. All these. When you find every reason to avoid God, don't be surprised when your kids grow up and say, God wasn't important to mom and dad. So why do I care? That's just the truth. Look, you don't do that with your job. Well, I'll go to work if I feel like it. If you teach your kids that, your kids are going to be bums. And you're probably a bum too. I'm just going to put that out there. It's like, well, I'll go to work if I'm not tired enough. You're not going to have a job very long. Teach your kids. You got to work hard. Got to go to work whenever, whenever you, every day. You got to work, do all this. But when it comes to your job, eh, that's no big deal. Just go to God when you need him. Well, guess what? They're going to grow up and say, well, I guess mom and dad don't need God. I don't either. Why? Because you are reproducing your heart for God. And if God's not important to you, don't expect to be important to your kids. Don't come to me in 20 years and say, man, my, my kid, they won't come to church. I don't know why. Well, I'm going to tell you because you were only here one week out of the month because you had everything else going on in your life. And God wasn't important to you. And I know God's important to you now, but guess what? You raised a kid who doesn't care. No, I'm not trying to be mean. Just trying to preach the Bible to you. That's what God says. So why are our kids leaving? Because God's not important to us. So why is he important? He wouldn't be important to them either. You reproduce what you are. You must live out your faith. Look, mom, dad, if your kids don't see you walk with God, they're not going to. That's just it. When I was in Bible college, there were a lot of kids that, that, I, that were in Bible college with me, and a lot of them were, were pastor's kids or ministry kids. And man, they were the worst kids. I'll be honest with you. PKs are horrible. But, and I know I got three of them. They're bad. But I, I talked to a lot of them because some of them, some of these kids, they were preacher's kids, and they had their, their, their dads were, were big pastors, big churches, big names in, in, in Baptist circles. And, so, and you look at them, you're like, but man, you are you know, always in trouble. You're always on the verge of being expelled. And if your dad, you didn't have your dad's last name, you'd be out of here already. And then there's other kids who their dads were also pastors, but they just, they had a heart for God. They loved God. And so I didn't do an official study, but I talked to each group. And I'd ask them, hey, did you ever see your mom or dad read their Bible or pray? Without fail, the kids who were always trouble. Well, no, I never saw them. I know he did because he had to get messages together. I know he did because he was a preacher, but I never really saw my dad. I never saw my mom walk with God. The kids who had a heart for God, yeah, oh yeah. Every morning I'd get up and my mom would be on the couch reading her Bible or praying. My dad would be out in the woods praying. He'd be out in the woods reading his Bible. They saw their parents walk with God. They saw their parents love God, so they loved God. You gotta be an example. You must live out your faith. Be an example. Number two, though, be an example, also be intentional. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, look at verse number 6. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently, diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest down in thy house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Your children will learn from your walk with God. But spiritual transformation does not happen by accident. You have to be intentional about teaching your children about God. Moses said it is our responsibility to diligently teach our children the word of God. It's something we must do often. Look, don't rely on your kids to get enough God on Sunday morning. Don't say, well, my kids go to Awana, that's enough. No, it ain't. 
because they get everything else every other day of the week. They need you as their parent to every single day be diligent about teaching them the Word of God. Look, I don't mean you got to sit them down and preach at them for an hour. If you want to, fine. It's probably not the best thing to do. But, you know, he says, hey, when you're walking, when you're in your house, when you're walking around, when you're before you go to bed, before you get up, talk about the things of God. Point out blessings that God has done in your life. Point out provisions. That God, look, April, I'm not good at this. I'll be honest, April is. The, several years ago, we were on deputation in Parker. Man, he was young. Uh, well, all of them were young at that time, actually. But we went to a church up in Maryland, and Parker, he wanted these, these, this Lego man. But it wasn't like a regular Lego set. I don't know. It's some kind of weird Lego where you put this man together. It's like a big alien. He wanted one of these things. But, man, they were, they were pretty expensive, and we were on deputation, which meant we had no money. So, we, you know, you did what every parent who wants to cop out on it does. said, pray for it, son. You pray about that, son. And he did. Little seven-year-old boy, he's praying for God to give him a Lego man. Well, we go to a church for Wednesday night. They had a Wednesday night Awana. So he goes to their Awana class, and they're going through the verses. And he knew all the verses. He hadn't been, he'd never been in Awana, but he, you know, knew the Bible. He taught it to him. So he knew all the verses. So he's quoting these verses. He's getting these Awana bucks. When he takes his Awana bucks, he goes to the Awana store. And you know what they have? One of those Lego men. He uses Awana bucks. He came running. And April was great. And I was like, man, that's awesome. April's like, see, God answered your prayer. You know what that taught him as a little boy? God cares about me. You know what she's doing? She's diligently teaching her faith. That's what you have to do. You have to diligently teach your children the Bible. Teach them to love God. It takes time. It takes commitment. And it takes coming back to what is essential over and over and over again. That is how we teach our kids not just spiritual habits. But that's how we introduce them to Jesus and they can learn to trust him and follow him. And look, we use this principle in every area of their life. We diligently teach them to pee in the potty. We diligently teach them to ride a bike, to learn to read, to learn to write, to learn to count, to do their math. We diligently teach them all these other things, diligently teach them about God. Teach them from a young age. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Teach them God. Why is teaching them God of his word any different? There are a lot of things in this world that compete with teaching things about God. There are a lot of things that clamor for your kids' attention. But if we are not intentional about teaching them about God, about getting, the things of, getting them to the things of God, and we are so busy doing all the other good things in life that we will miss out on doing the most important thing we can as a parent. One preacher said this, and we can strive to give our children all the advantages the world has to offer and motivate them to make the most of the available opportunities and resources, but unless their spiritual life is prioritized and nurtured, they will miss out on much of the meaning purpose and joy of life. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, for what does a man, what does a man profit if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What's the point of teaching your kid to, to be the greatest hunter or be the best, the, best, the best CEO or make a bunch of money? What's the purpose of teaching them all that and not teaching them God? Well, they'll make great money one day, but it doesn't matter if they make all the money in the world, become the next, rich, next Warren Buffett if they die and go to hell diligently teach your children about God. You've got to be example, 
You have to be intentional. And thirdly, you have to be present. Look at number seven again. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. Look, look what Moses says. He goes, look, Moses says, this is when you're to teach your children about God. Sunday morning and Sunday school and church. No, he goes, you're teaching your kids about God when you're sitting around the house. You teach your kids about God when you're walking around, when you're running chores, when you're out in town. You teach your kids about God when you lie there before bed. You teach your kids about God when they wake up. He goes, every opportunity you spend with your child is an opportunity to teach them about God. But to do that, you have to be present in their life. He says, write the word of God on your hands. Keep it in front of your eyes. Write it around your house. Always keep the word of God present and in front of them. God says to talk about God's ways with your kids whenever and wherever you are. But that means you got to be present with them. Too often we choose quality time over quantity of time. We, we live our life separate from our kids. We go to work, we come home, we, we do our chores, we, we take care of our things we got to do, we, we live our own life, we watch our TV shows. We're in, one, we're in our bedroom watching our TV, they're in their bedroom watching their TV. We're separate from them in every area of our life and we think, well, we'll take a trip to Disney every year and that'll be enough. One week out of the year makes up for all the other weeks that we, that we didn't spend with them. Try that philosophy at work. Go to work tomorrow. Say, boss, I'm going to work real hard one week. And then you won't see me again for the rest of the year. But I want to be paid for the whole year. Uh, one week, I'll give you everything I got. The rest of the week, I ain't going to be here. You won't have a job. He'll say, that's, that's not how this works. We can't do that in any other area of our life. So why do we do it with our kids? Why do we do it with our relationships? More than kids need an incredible, expensive vacation, which, listen, they do. I'm not saying never take a vacation with the kids. You need time where you can take and, and spend some time away from all the activities of life where it's just you for a week. Me and April, we, every year we take a vacation with ourselves because, look, Mom and Dad, you need one too. You need a vacation away from those kids because, man, they're rough. But you need vacation with your kids. We're supposed to be on vacation today, but Parker broke his leg. Idiot. So we're going to September. Why? Because he's, it's not like, well, you bro, we can't do No, we need time together. They need that. But more than they need just one week out of the year to have this great expensive vacation, they need time with you every single day where you can walk with them and talk with them and pray with them and spend time with them. They don't need to, you know what that means? That means they need to be life with you. It means do life with you. Be present. Take them with you when you run to the store. Look, talk to them now or they won't talk to you later. You know, one of the things I love about April, she talks to our kids about anything. Parker now, he's almost 16, he will not shut up. He'll talk to us about anything, which I'll be honest with you, sometimes when he's talking about Marvel movies, it can get annoying. But sometimes he talks about what God's doing in his heart. You know, some, some teenagers, they won't talk to their parents. Why? Because they didn't talk to them when they were kids. Mom and dad didn't spend time with me when I was four or five or six or seven, so why would I spend time with them now? You got to be present in your kids' lives. Your kids don't need the latest gadgets. They need you. They need you to be there with them every 
step of the way. They need you to love them and introduce them to Jesus. Your kids need parents. They'll be an example of what it means to put God first. They need parents who are intentional about introducing them to Jesus and parents who are present with them on the journey of life. That's the promise that you are making this morning. So this morning, as we continue with the service, I'm going to ask the parents to go get your kids.